All right, welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. And today we have Pete Nicoletti on the phone. He is the Chief Information Security Officer from Cybraics. And that is a, we're going to talk security today. And I am going to be completely honest with you guys. I have little to no security experience you should not take my word uh, from anything when it comes to security whatsoever. That's why I'm bringing Pete on the show. And I typically steer away from security because there's so much fear mongering involved. And uh, I don't know if it's, it's security guys in general uh, typically have the, the, the job that you can only fail at. And I, I'm really not into <laughs> failure. You know, um, but the, but I'm having I'm having Pete on the show because a lot of people are very fond of 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 sp- very particular niche security products. One of them being a uh, dark trace and, and and Pete one of, one of your girls called me the other day and was you know trying you know I, I get calls all the time from from vendors all the time, so I just kind of you know threw out the dark trace there and, and asked you know to fire off and, and how you guys compare and uh, I'll be honest I, I was impressed a little bit. So I said, can you just get me your top nerd on the show, please? Can I want the nerdiest person in your company, the person that can actually speak facts and figures. And um, now I'm talking with you. So I guess that you I'm, are... I'm the- a nerd translator. <laughs> I, I sit between the data scientists and the normal people. And I can use smaller words and talk slower. But uh, for 30 years, I've been an ultra nerd and I dress the part and... Uh, 30 and years, okay. So that means you've seen a floppy floppy disk drive before, possibly. Single-sided, double-dense, single-sided, and eight-inch before the five and a quarters. It's beautiful. So what was your first I've memorable? Seen it all. What was your first memorable computer? Do you remember your very first computer? It was a, a PDP, a deck PDP before it was an 11. I think it was a PDP 10. It was a test machine. And it was up in Princeton at the uh, Western Electric Labs where the laser and the transistor were, were invented. My dad was a research uh, scientist there. And I wrote commands to control one of the very first CO2 lasers to cut through some steel. And here I was, you know, 14 and a half or so before I could even drive there. And nice. I said, okay, if I can make a computer do this. And then I ended up building computers, ended up building a computer clone company and I was selling computers before Dell had pimples and uh, (laughs) got into, you know, an ISP. I started an ISP. Then I started a wireless ISP. Then I got into, I was hacked and I got so pissed off that I self-taught myself everything security. Uh And I ended up finding the guy that hacked me, arrested him, put him away nice, and got into hardcore security started an MSSP, a managed security service provider, sold that, started another one. And then uh, then I went from AAA ball to big time with down there in Terramark in Miami. I was running the incident response teams and the, uh, the penetration testing teams. And we broke into buildings and banks and, you know, proved to them their security as well as keeping sharp and doing incident response and, doing uh, dozens and dozens of, you know, I was incident commander for yeah, maybe close to a hundred incidents. Mm-hmm. And then I popped into a company called Virtustream and uh, 
built their cloud practice, had a thousand SAP customers and took their cloud through uh, the FedRAMP compliance. Then uh, got recruited by Hertz and they bought out my golden handcuffs and spent a year as global or two years exactly to the day at Hertz Uh uh, as global CISO. I used to tell my guys the average CISO uh, term is, (laughs) well, it's 14 months. And I said, guys, I just want to be above average. Get me through two years. And so, uh, I managed What do you say about that where I say CISO is the only job you can fail at? It really seems like a, a bang your head against the wall, painful, almost very stressful type of job. But uh, listening to you talk just now, you actually made this all sound like it was a lot of fun. Well, you know, the higher you go in security, the more you lose your 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 keyboard skills and your hacking skills and your security skills. Uh And it turns into a business job. It turns into basically begging for money and Uh justifying budget and working with different business groups to lubricate the business and make it, make it faster and build security in sooner. So it, it really is more of a business rather than a technical uh, situation at at the highest level. So, so for our listeners out there, just for our listeners out there, because one of the biggest themes of the show is business acumen and how uh, many of us that have gotten into technology got into technology because of the technology side and and you know by two thousand what are we in? It is two thousand twenty. So we've already hit the date. So by two thousand twenty, you know it's something like. 85 to 90% of all IT directors and leadership and technology leaders will have to have a significant amount of business acumen that they may not have had in the past. And the way that you described it, the way a lot of people describe it is begging for money, um, having to really provide all these arguments. Do you have any tips or, you know, tactics or, or anything other than, you know, showing ROI and fear mongering and, and look at what happened to this company. Is there, is there anything that you've done that has been significantly different or helpful to people when needing to ask? Lots of things. Yeah, lots of things. You know, if you can prove the medicine is cheaper than the cure, Mm, you know, look at, you know, show that, look, you know, here we have a thousand servers that are vulnerable to want to cry. And mm-hmm. if we can patch those, it's going to cost us five bucks to patch each one. But if we have an outage where we have to go to restore on each one and between the time and the, the business effect, you know, it's going to cost us 15,000 per server. Let's prioritize and get these things patched. So that's one idea. The other idea that uh, has proved effective, although you know, it's a little bit of a dick move. Uh, sorry okay. to use an expression there, but uh, <laughs> we'll take. I'm sure we'll take present, anything at this point. <laughs> Go ahead. When you present risk to the board or to executives, and you say, "Hey, from as a security expert, you know, here's the the risk that we have to the business. You know, there's four things you're trying to protect: you're trying to protect the reputation, you're trying to protect business processes, trying to protect records." And you're trying to put, protect intellectual property. So if you break it down to, hey, here's a risk to this, here's a risk to that, and it usually falls on deaf ears because they're all they're in their own little world, worried about their own little problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the minute you slide a letter across the table saying, 
all right, so we're not going to do anything about this because your priority or the company's priorities are higher. You need to sign this and say, look, I acknowledge this risk and we're passing on it in this budget cycle and we're going to do it this way. And here's why. You don't want to be the I told you so guy. You want everybody involved in making risk decisions. If you're the only one that's aware of the risk, you're, you're utterly failing. You have to share the risks with all the other executives, get their buy-in, and if they don't buy into getting it fixed, then you say, look, I completely understand. You know, we've got other priorities, but here's a little risk letter that, you know, we need to, we need to be able to show that you understand all the risk and we're willing to forego action on it. So How have they received that? that How have people, people received that in the past? <laughs> oh, it's terrible. It's terrible the first time you do that. Right. Please tell but me. I, please somebody has to me. be the mature person. <laughs> What's that? Please tell me how they received that the very first time you sent that letter. Oh, the first time was horrible. The first <laughs> time was horrible. You know, people don't like to have their nose rubbed in, in a risk. And nobody wants to spend money on security. It's an ins- Who wants to spend money on insurance? You know, what if they say get the hell out yet. of here? What if they say get the hell out of here with a few other expletives and say get this letter out of here? I, I mean, like, we're, oh, we're I've had doing? that. No, that's happened. No, that's happened. Trust me. I've... But then you can just email the letter with an attachment. You know, I know you guys failed to sign this, but I do want to make sure that this is documented within the um, exchange server. <laughs> yes, I, I need. Uh... I need proof that you have it. And here's a read receipt, you son of a gun. No, it's, we've had some fun with them. We've had some fun. But, you know, the, this meeting is being all recorded. The, all the boards are being forced to acknowledge security. I mean, look at what ransomware is doing to our country. Look at the, if you just see the news, we are losing the battle. We are, hacking is an ever increasing. Issue. It's because it's we easier to be a hacker. Winning. It's easier. I mean, honestly, well, there's it's lots of reasons. Bad guy. Huh? There's tons of reasons. You know, the in some of my presentations, I give the top 20 reasons. And certainly, you know, grabbing a, uh, a ransomware kit, there's a whole ransomware, uh, you know, group of co- companies focusing on ransomware. There's call centers set up to, you know, talk people through. There's people that set up Bitcoin accounts. There's people that set up you know, zero day domains for, for it. There's people that sell the code, mm. you know, for a couple thousand bucks or a couple hundred bucks, actually, you can be in the business and it's profitable. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's people that don't have good backups. There's people that don't patch their servers. There's people that don't monitor the attacks that are going on. There's people that don't do any training whatsoever. They, and people that don't protect their emails. Uh, that vector. So, you know, until, you know, once it happens to you, then it's important. Mm. When it's happening to somebody else, you know, we're going to try to, you know, skip, you know, putting the appropriate amount of percentage of my IT budget into security. And that's another big issue. You know, you're always, you're lumped into the IT budget and, and the whole reporting structure for chief information security officers sometimes is really screwed up with, you know, reporting to legal or reporting to another technology executive when it really should be its own discipline and its own a lot of IT structure and have its own budget. 
I mean, at least in mid-market IT, I find a lot of, uh, there's not money for a CISO. There's not money for uh, the correct checks and balances that should be in place. You know, security checked against Mm -hmm. IT, IT uh, checked against security. Usually it's, you know, a lot of companies just, we we got money for the IT director. Um, So yeah, it definitely is lumped into the IT budget. And a lot of times they... Well, that's when you get a third party in to do an audit to see where there's weaknesses. That's when you can get a... You know, the rise of the virtual CISO, where you have somebody that has, you know, very deep experience, you know, you might not necessarily afford him or her full time, but at least get, you know, 10 hours a month to come in and look over things and work in conjunction with the the IT professionals and say, hey, you know, let's let's do this, you know, and spend a little bit of money here because this is cheap money. Mm-hmm. versus, you know, recovery money is expensive. So mm-hmm. Yeah, like a roadmap, get someone to roadmap, you know, like come in and roadmap. Yep. So talk to me about um, Cybraics. Why, you know, why are we talking? Why why Cybraics over anyone else? Maybe just kind of give me a, a brief. Uh, sure, sure. How we compare, so, maybe even how we compare against Darktrace since I keep hearing that every day. Love, hey, I love to compare against, uh, we, I guess I can use my internal code word. We call them Darktrace, but that's, uh, <laughs> we, we don't, we don't and say I'm, that. In public. I'm unbiased here, just so you know. <laughs> but I, I do like this. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> we have we have names for everybody. It's kind of our little thing. Nice. But uh, you know, it's a it's a neat field, and it started for us as a DARPA project. So our founders, whom I've been working together, you know, with twenty for twenty years, because it started down at Terramar. And before we go there, can you yeah. give me just give me your yeah. like, um, your one liner real quick? Like, what do you guys do? We are a log analytic company. We take all the telemetry from all the security tools that you currently have, firewalls, antivirus, DNS, syslogs, uh, active directory logs, uh, web application security logs, all those logs. We send them off to our data lake and we start to chew on them with a very, very large suite of analytics looking for thousands of different types of behaviors. Mm -hmm. So the key thing for us is we are not signature-based. We're not looking for things that have have been seen previously. We don't build correlation rules. We don't build Boolean, you know, if, then, or else correlation rules. That's every company that's ever been hacked has a SIM. Mm -hmm. Every company that's ever been hacked has a firewall. So the way we're doing it with things that are 99.9% efficient is, is failing us. So with us, our analytics span those log sources and look at the histogram of the attack, build that up into a case and quickly present that case to the customer so they can remediate it. So the two big metrics that we fix are mean time to detection and mean time to repair. Mean time to detection for us for the, for the world, is almost 200 days, according to the Verizon breach report. So 200 days having a hacker knock around your network, reading your emails, establishing different CNC connections, you know, as, you know, encrypting your data and sending it out. You know, we reduce that 200 days down to 200 milliseconds. We see those immediate issues that pop up that, you know, the hackers have gone through your firewall. The firewall just doesn't know that that's <clears throat> hacker behavior. Our analytics see that. Then on the meantime, that, yeah, like is this kind of like a 
um, how is it? Is it learned behavior based on what your end users typically do type of thing like, like this, this? Yeah, there is a lot of that. There is, uh, you know, if you're a, a database user and all of a sudden now you just queried 10,000 records and, you know, you've only queried 50 per day, something just stands It's out. always something different, you know. Yeah. Uh, we learn those things. We see those things. Um, you know, you've never used this port. You've never gone to this website. Um, your VPN connections have never gone. You've never had a connection to China. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you could write those rules, but it'll take you months and years to keep writing rules. Mm-hmm. Our analytics beat rules. Now, the, the, the final thought on that is the mean time to repair. Um, because we're presenting a case that you know, with remediation steps and research and third-party you know, information, mm-hmm. and uh, the customers are able to remediate it, we see our customers remediate things in less than a day. So if mm-hmm. you use the current pandemic lexicon, we find patient zero quicker and we, we inoculate that patient so that it doesn't spread. You know, the reason why it takes 97 days to remediate is because it's spread throughout the enterprise. It's spread to more servers and more. So the average is 97 days, 200 days yeah. to detection. Oh, I'm sorry, days. 76, 76 days for remediation. Okay. 197 for detection. Okay. 197. Okay. Uh, and less than a day for you guys. Less than a day. Okay. You catch it quicker, fix it yeah. quicker. So um, now you ahead. were asking about uh, Dark Trace. Yeah, they have a, a different approach. Mm-hmm. They are a full packet analysis type company. So there's lots of those companies out there. They're actually a rather advanced one. Um, from what our customers tell us that have used it, you know, they don't find as many things as we find. You know, our internal tagline is we find stuff that everybody else doesn't find. That's what we're really, really good at. Zero days. And, and Dark Trace, you know, they've, they've got a lot of media attention because they've raised tons of money. They've got great valuation. They've got a lot of customers. They are using uh, machine learning. Um, I truly believe they don't use artificial intelligence because it's, you know, the old, the old nerd joke is if it's machine learning, it's written in Python. If it's artificial intelligence, it's written in PowerPoint. So uh, <laughs> not many people are really using artificial intelligence. Uh, we've tried it. <laughs> we've spent years and tens of millions of dollars trying to, you know, tag data so that it would know. But those efforts fail. That's, well, from my understanding is it's, it's more along that behavior, looking for different behaviors and, and that sort of thing yeah. is, is what, what they're yep. calling or what we're calling AI. So their, their approach is full packet. So they need to put equipment, big beefy packet analysis equipment everywhere in the network, uh, which is mm-hmm. expensive and capital. You know, you need power and rack and engineering resources. Our approach is much lighter, you know, lighter footprint. All we need is your log. So whatever your log source is, point it toward a data collector appliance, a real small software piece of code that forwards and encrypts the logs off to our data lake. And we can be up and running and literally uh, 
giving value to the customer within a day. You know, the, the heavy equipment guys take, you know, months or weeks or whatever to get installed and nobody can afford all the different appliances that they should have. You know, they typically do it on Ingress, north, south traffic, and uh, there's just as much crazy activity going east, west, but not a lot of people monitor that. We, we can monitor that easily with, uh, you know, lower cost approaches and just having that log telemetry uh, sent off to us. So we're faster to implement, a lot cheaper, and we provide better results. And we have a, a run rate right now where we've never lost to them. We love horse racing. We love the competition. Uh, we've got a, an, a pretty cool pretty cool record against them. The, what's, what's keeping IT directors up at night that you guys allow them to sleep more peacefully? The unknown is really, you know, if you look at the NSS reports, if you, if you read the paper every darn day, there's something new, some new vector, some new approach, some new vulnerability. And with conventional tools, you know, each one of those tools is its own silo. So you're not getting a, like a comprehensive picture of your risk. Each one of those tools is saying, hey, my antivirus, oh, I'm reporting this little problem. Oh, my firewall's, you know, shooting off all these different alerts. Oh, darn, my my DNS system is telling me yeah, there's 10 domains that uh, should be on a blacklist or you know, I'm hitting blacklist mm-hmm. that I see. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's no comprehensive approach. There's no single dashboard that says, okay, we're going to take in all these logs, analyze them, and tell you where your risk is in a very, very quick fashion. Traditional SIMs, you know, name and names, Key Radar, Splunk, ArcSight, uh, Arctic Chihuahua, whatever, whatever, oh, Arctic Wolf, sorry, that's one of our goofy names. Uh, you know, they are conventional. They're looking at correlation rules and standard rules, and you can't write enough of them. You can't, you can't find new anomalous behavior by writing a rule for it or having a blacklist on an antivirus system or a firewall. You can't, it, those are always reactive. When our system finds things, we run it. We run those MD5 hashes against virus total. We look at the IP reputation against 23 different blacklists. And guess what? We find that those systems are not seeing what we're seeing. And then a week later, two weeks later, somebody else reports it. And then it'll pop up saying, oh, yeah, I've seen this uh, hash some before. Why? That's the, Why are you seeing things because other people somebody else gets hacked? Hmm. Uh, because it's behavior-based. We don't rely on IP reputation or domain reputation or, or, or a signature that has to be developed after seeing the attack. We see the nature of the attack. We see the behavior of the attack. We see what it's trying to do. Like, for example, in our syslog uh, analytics, we look to see... You know, for fileless malware, well, malware, we look to see a PowerShell execution. We look to see a modification of a, some root file that should be modified. Um, we look at the, the DNS record that was associated with, with a, a query that came from that server. We look, you know, we go back in history and say, oh, this is where this administrator 
uh, logged out and a new administrator logged in and uh, they weren't, and this wasn't a natural, you know, log in, log out. This is somebody that snagged a credential, mm. you know, and they're mm. logging in from a place that's never been logged before. And we'll build that all in a case in a few seconds mm-hmm. and say, hey, here's what you got to look at right now. Mm. We call it the phone mm. drop moment. You know, okay. we kind of joke around that we're professional grief counselors because all we do is deliver bad news all day. But the bad news we deliver is, we catch it early and catch it before it's significant and the customers appreciate that. And that's why we've been, you know, right now we're in the, the hockey stick of our growth. So it's, it's really been a fun ride here this, uh, especially the last year. Give me some, uh, give me some case studies or give me some examples, I guess. of um, phone Sure. Moments. Sure. Yeah. All day long. Um, you know, we've got a lot of oil and gas customers and, We've seen, uh, you know, we've seen uh, Russian and Chinese actors uh, both trying to do disruption as well as intellectual property theft. Uh, We've had a shipboard system compromised through some Chinese cameras Mm. and the entire ICS system, the integrated control system that controlled the pumps and the bilges and the engines and the Mm. generators was completely compromised by some Chinese actors and they had to take 14 ships out of service. So, oh, wow. uh, but it prevented loss of life. Mm-hmm. We've had other customers that have had, you know, recurring uh, ransomware issues and they just keep piling on the conventional tools. We'll come in and within minutes or hours, we'll find where uh, the root of the, the malware is. And uh, in certain cases, we had a financial company where it was on their wire transfer server mm. and they hadn't, they didn't want to touch that server. And that was a server that was, mm. you know, had a credential stealing malware on it. And uh, they were, they were setting up for, a, you know, a, an unauthorized wire transfer and we caught it in time. Mm. We've yeah. had uh, hospitals, you know, notoriously have, uh, equipment that they don't want to patch because it, you know, break the application or, mm-hmm. or it breaks the, uh, the FDA certification because it's modified. Mm-hmm. So they have older systems that are unpatched and instead of having compensating controls on it, they sort of, you know, they're cheap. Mm-hmm. So we find malware on x-ray machines and bone density machines and, mm-hmm. and patient monitoring systems that, uh, could easily be, you know, they own the system, so they could do whatever. They could literally kill a patient if they turn the knob and, and uh, you know, modify it. So uh, it goes on and on. We were the very first company to spot uh, election interference by the Russians. Hmm. Uh, we monitor eight state election commissions, and I know it's annoying to hear Russian interference every day, but uh, not only do we hear it, we see it. We have mm-hmm. dashboards that monitor uh, Russian attacks all day long against our election commissions. And uh, we haven't had a situation yet that we haven't seen that we haven't been able to uh, help the customers fix. So, yeah, I love use cases. And what about fact, someone that just has, um, <laughs> if you had like a, an IT director that has a bootstrapped 
uh, security program or maybe not too many checks and balances in place and, you know, doing what they can, doing their own research, um, you know, doing the best they can. Uh, any suggestions sure. for them or how can you help them? Well, in the case of, you know, put it in the perspective of our platform, you've got to centralize your logging. You have to have some kind of tool because if you're not going to be proactive like our tool is, at least you're going to be able to be reactive and be able to forensically look through logs to see what the hell happened. If you can, the cool thing about our platform is it's very inexpensive uh, according to size. You know, we our, our licensing is by, you know, terabytes and uh, gigs and petabytes per month, whatever you're whatever your traffic is per month. So for a small IT shop, you know, a couple grand a month is, is a very reasonable price to pay for all of your logging, all of your compliance reporting, and somebody, you know, our team and or an MSSP partner monitoring your environment and telling you exactly what you need to fix right then. So super inexpensive and you get the, you know, you get the benefits of a, you know, a federal quality level system because half of our customers are still federal. So what we're providing to the federal government to protect our, you know, our uh, troops who's and you, everything. Yeah, so who's using you? Yeah, so who's using you? Like biggest names? Um, well, a couple that I can say, you know, the Department of Defense uses our system. Uh, last, the last two months, our cyber threat center has sent out three or four notices that have actually gone out to the FBI InfraGuard distro list as well as the DHS list. So uh, a lot of our federal customers rely on us. The, we have a lot of state uh, election commissions. We have uh, a number of Fortune 500 companies as well as the small companies, you know, 50 people in a company. Uh, that's the cool thing. It, the system scales down really, really to that size. We've got insurance companies. We have a lot of banks. We have, uh, you know, a number of companies that have, uh, you know, HIPAA requirements, high-tech requirements, PCI. Mm -hmm. You know, they're looking for, you know, we have our own authority to operate at, uh, at a high level uh, at NISFA 853, which is, you know, the highest federal government uh, specified uh, compliance framework so you know so trying to remain the um, so so from a from a IT director standpoint and trying to in, in doing my best here to remain uh, objective and carrier agnostic and all that when someone's looking at a group of various different security products how would they uh, what can you do for them how can you help them make a decision or how can you help them make more of a kind of a non-biased decision without being biased yourself uh, do you guys have any kind of um, I don't know, assessment and or trial period or anything like that, that you, that helps people make decisions easier. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, we could do that. We've got a bunch of experienced folks on staff, including me, but we usually bring in a partner. We've got a really neat uh, partner environment that, that has assessments, vulnerability tests. Mm -hmm. They've got compliance uh, framework assessments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll do SAMs, they'll do the, uh, they'll do the NIST, uh, 
uh, you know, they'll do a PCI assessment mm-hmm. and that'll tease out not just product issues or, you know, Hey, you need to upgrade. You've got crappy old virus. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to upgrade something to something, a newer generation, or you're using mm-hmm. crappy old firewalls and you've got mm-hmm. to have something that's a, you know, gen three, gen four kind of firewall. Mm-hmm. That'll tease out those things easily, but so kind of a one-stop shop approach. Out. Is that kind of like a one-stop shop approach from kind of a general yeah, with planning? The, yeah, with compliance folks will, yeah, the, the maturity analysis will tease all that out. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then you'll prioritize it and then make sure you can budget for it. And, and in a lot of cases, our partners uh, will implement those things for them. So, you know, a lot of times they're just the auditors or just the compliance folks. And then you go out and pick your vendors, mm-hmm. you know, to, to keep that, to maintain that uh, arm's length approach. Yeah, we don't get right. into the assessment side of things, but we do all day long. We'll tell a customer, Hey, uh, you've got a hygiene issue. You know, mm-hmm. you're not managing your firewalls effectively. Gotcha. You so let's just do a scenario. Let's just do a quick scenario. A hundred user company. Uh, what does it cost to bring you guys in? Well, we would we would look at their current environment. We we go through a, uh, about an hour hour and a half assessment. We have our own little internal. It's more like a, a sales qualification process, and I run that group. Okay. Uh, as I'm also the CISO of the group of the company, so I kind of have my feet in two two different areas. It's kind of mm-hmm. fun. Okay. So we walk, walk the customer through, hey, what are your current technologies? What are your current challenges? Have you been hacked? You know, how's your patching routine? Are you using, you know, any kind of vulnerability assessment tools? Are you using patching tools? Yep. You know, figure out their, their, their you know, uh, uh, processes and, and challenges. And Check. then we'll come up with a, a nice little recommendation form. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, you know, we've had customers that are buttoned up tight and there's not a thing we can do for them and we shake hands or at least fist bump now and, mm-hmm. you know, coronavirus <laughs> world. But uh, now we'll, but in the most cases, they know they have a weakness yep. in, uh, in the logging area. And we'll say, look, sure, sure you can buy a SIM, but with us, you get analytics on top of it, as well as all the acceleration that uh, will help your analysts quickly. Uh, you know, the whole thing about us is time, not only detecting us, detecting an issue, but also remediating it. So in every step of our platform, we're walking the customer through how to do something faster, how to how to get to the problem faster, because... Once they free up, you know, we've seen customers free up people, you know, full-time people from, you know, the alert drudgery because, mm-hmm. you know, alerts coming off systems, typically half of them are false positives. Mm-hmm. In our case, our false positive rate is about 2%. So a huge reduction in false positives. And then a huge reduction in the case management time. Mm-hmm. A typical case takes 10, 15 minutes to build our system builds that automatically and drops it in your lap. So you can start looking at the, looking to spend more time with the business and spend more time on other critical things 
rather than just being an alert monkey because if if all you're dealing is with the the car alarm and the car alarm is you know ringing and just all that the time, constant the constant false positives you're really gonna, exactly you're gonna ignore it yeah and and you're going to get hit and it's gonna be in the alarm it's gonna be in your your logs but you didn't have time to look at it because you were you were tired of it and and the other thing is it burns people out you know if all you're doing is scrolling through alerts all day uh, yeah, as a security analyst how long do you want to do that that's just not the fine. grass is going to be greener quite you're going to find some greener grass real yeah. quick yeah yeah exactly um before we go the i do need to hear what that was like uh, arresting the guy that you found that hacked you because that's just sounds awesome How'd you pull that? One? Well, it's I yeah that one was a that one was interesting because here I am running an ISP buying my own business, and uh, I get a call from the Toronto Star newspaper, and the guy there was sharp sharp as attack a badass uh, you know Unix administrator and he says dude you are just hacking away at me and I'm like what are you talking about I don't know what you're t- I don't know who you are. So because I was not a security professional at the time, I called in a, a good buddy of mine, Frank, who was a elite hacker. And he came in and within 15 minutes, he goes, wow, this guy's really good. Not only did he hack you, but he patched the system so nobody else could, could hack after him. So I thought that was kind of cool, but the fact that he was interfering with my business and, you know, my buddy and I actually, you know, found IPs and this was before, v, you know, VPN hopping and yep. other obfication techniques were really out there. It now, was a bit easier. It bit was, easier to now it would be tough. It was yeah. a lot easier. You know, he had, uh, it's almost like he left his email or his business card in the hack. Uh, <laughs> you know, some of his code had, had uh, evidence. So yeah. I uh, worked with the Canadian Mounted Police. Mm-hmm. And it ended up that he was uh, uh, he was hacking when he was seventeen, but by the time I caught him, he was eighteen. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I pressed charges, and that's another thing. Uh, a lot of people don't go through all that hassle of you know it takes time, effort, money, and most. It's like when your bank account gets it. hacked. Your bank account gets hacked. You call Bank of America. You're like, this is not an authorized charge. What the heck's going on? 500 bucks. Yep. And no one ever really follows up on anything else. You just get your money back and that's it. Well, not people like me. (laughs) (laughs) I I take that personal. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I I just think it happens a lot now. I think, I mean, I don't know. It happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, It's very hard to trace, but, you know, I went to Kmart one time and said, look, uh, I want to see the tapes. Here's when this transaction was mm-hmm. done and, and I provided the, the videotape step to the police. So mm-hmm. I did as much as I could. Oh, nice. But, uh, I take that personal. Yeah. Well, sir, if you had any piece of advice or recommendation to any uh, IT leaders out there uh, listening to the show, what would that be? Well, I did write an ebook with Sentinel One on what to do to either get to be a CISO or as you're a CISO, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what are the things that need to be a priority? Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And the way that the way that you advance your career, especially if you're if you're good technically, and technically is is the base you want to really work on. You want to make sure you have your certifications, make sure you have experience in in lots of different technologies, not just one. But the key thing, if you want to be successful and hit the top of the game on the security stack and hit a CISO level or director level, is to be involved in the business and understand the company's business that you're working for to the point where you can actually help the business move faster, whether it's a an online ordering system mm-hmm. that you know there's a better way to do it or, or, or to protect it. Mm-hmm. or to add any fraud mechanisms in the purchasing process or to you know think about how you can protect the business if you get that reputation and you're involved at the business level then you're going to be successful then when you ask for the raise you're going to get it um the other thing is is you have to provide provide metrics you have to show the effectiveness of your program to where you can show effectiveness changing over time and how you're influencing the effectiveness of your security program. So if you can't measure it, you can't prove it, you can't get a raise from it. So measure your, have metrics come in to a new organization and say, you know, we're going to have metrics that, that monitor our performance, just like you have sales metrics and, and That's revenue and, Prove it. and everything else. Yeah. There are ways to measure security effectiveness and you have to be able to provide that to the executives. Yeah. Do you know uh, Jeremiah Grossman by any chance? I do. Actually. Okay. Yeah. He was on a, he was on one of my very first podcasts a couple of years ago. Um, it was funny because I do, guy. Yeah, I do a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I was like, I wonder if I can just find, that would be cool if we could find someone that's like a real kind of just a badass that's also in security at the same time. So I Googled jiu-jitsu and, and, uh, and security at the same time and he came up. So and then you see pictures of him rolling with Forrest Griffin and everything. But uh, he's a great guy. He's done, done a lot. So I'm a very good punching bag. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the one doling it out. I'm the one that's taking it with a grunt. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, Pete, man, it's been uh, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. And anyone that wants to um, that wants to install Cybrics or or at least start out with a with a one hour one and a half hour assessment where we go through with you and your team. Uh, you can certainly, this is, uh, my podcast is going out to obviously my secret email list that not many people know about. I have like a secret IT leadership, uh, newsletter. So you guys can just reply to my email, but, but everyone else, you can reach out to me, um, on LinkedIn as well. And I will make the connection, uh, to Pete. And of course it, we can find you on LinkedIn as well. And if you, if you mentioned, uh, you know, dissecting popular IT nerds, uh, I'm sure you will, you will make sure that they, they get that one and a half hour assessment. Happy to help out. And if we if we can't help them, we have a big variety of partners that we'll put you in front of that uh, are more than capable of helping out with any facet of security or IT challenge. Outstanding. Sir, thank you so much for uh, being on the show today and uh, have a, a wonderful, uh, I guess it's afternoon now. So have a wonderful afternoon. Fantastic. Had fun. <laughs>